0: This morning we are in Luke 10, and it's a rather short passage, so we're going to do a pretty deep dive into it, um, which I love to do, so, is a, you know, it's exciting, but uh, we're going to do a deep dive into Luke 10 if you want to turn there, um, and because it's a short passage, and honestly, so it's the, it's the story of Martha and Mary, and if you've been in church for a while, maybe it's familiar to you. If you haven't been in church for a while, it might be new. Maybe you've heard of their names. Um, but this was the first time that I had personally really dived deep into these verses. Um, and it was, it was enlightening because I, I, I admit that I went in with, an, with a hope of what I would find. Uh, the story of Martha and Mary, which we'll look at in a second, it contrasts two sisters and their behavior. And Martha doesn't look the best in the verses, and, and I confess that when I went into studying for it, I went in hoping that maybe there was a detail we'd been missing, and that she would come out of it looking a little bit better. I, I wanted to try and give her the benefit of the doubt, um, and that's, that's inappropriate. I, can't, I, mean, I can go in and I can hope I find something, but what we have to do is we have to submit to what Scripture actually says, and in this case, what we'll see in this, um, I think Martha I think this is an instance where the Bible gives us a pretty stark example of what not to do and holds it up as the heart is in the wrong place and because the heart is in the wrong place, the outward actions are then in the wrong place. Um, So this was humbling to study because honestly, the reason I went in hoping that we could give Martha the benefit of the doubt, you know, maybe one of the words revealed that it wasn't as bad as we thought was because I think sometimes and probably more frequently than it should be, I see myself in Martha. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'll see ourselves in Martha. And that's why I went in hoping that it would be okay for us and for me. Um, but we've got to submit to what Scripture says, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Before we begin, I want to read the verses, and then if you would just join me in prayer. Luke ten thirty-eight. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve, her, to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the holiness of your word. We thank you that uh, as... Scripture tells us that this is profitable for all things. This is beneficial for teaching and for correcting and for rebuking. And God, I know I I personally had convictions of correction while studying this passage. And so I thank you for that. I thank you that even if I went in hoping that it would be easy for me to read this and study this and feel better about myself, that your word doesn't yield to what I want, but that we are called to yield to what your word says. And so, Lord, I I pray that this morning would be a time where we are fully submitted to your word and we are fully submitted to your authority and to your reign as holy, holy, holy. God, teach us in this time. Let these not be my thoughts or my uh, my words, but let them be from you. Let them be received in your spirit so that we can grow as a body uh, to continue to look more like Jesus and to live lives that are fully surrendered to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so the first thing, the reason I said, you know, it's tough watching the, or reading this passage, because you do, you want, you want it to be that we misunderstood Martha. Because I really do think we see ourselves in Martha. I know I see myself in Martha, like I said. And you have, this, you have this scenario, and what we're going to do is we're just going to, like I said, it's only four verses. So we're going to really break this down to look at where was Martha, where was her heart, what were her words revealing, what were her actions revealing, and then how did Jesus respond to Martha. And so the story starts with, right, Martha, Jesus comes into a village, and Martha welcomes him into her home. And that word for welcomes, it's the same word used when Jesus goes into Zacchaeus's home, and it says that Zacchaeus came down and welcomed him with joy. So my first thought was like, well, maybe this was unexpected, and Martha got this kind of thrown on her at the last minute, and she was overwhelmed and flustered by that. And no, it's this word really is like this. This was a deliberate. She welcomed him into her home. She was excited to have him come into her home. She knew what was going to happen. You know, hey, Jesus is coming into my home, and she knew Jesus was there to teach. So it's so you start with that. And then we see Martha's response to that. And it says, what does it say? It says, okay, so you have Martha welcomes into her home, Mary, the other sister, sits at Jesus' feet, and then we jump back to Martha. And in verse 40, it says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And the first thing I want to point out, make no mistake, let me be very clear, serving is a good thing. Serving, we are called to serve. We see numerous examples of serving. Serving is a good thing. We are meant to serve but good things can distract us from Jesus. And that's when it becomes an issue. And that's what happens here with Martha. So then my next thought was, in this desire to, okay, I know I get distracted sometimes in life. This passage is kind of making me wonder, you know, do I get distracted from Jesus with things that are good things, but I allow it to take me away from... It. Well, maybe that word for distraction is just like a momentary, right? Like maybe it was, you know, if you're sitting here listening to me and that flower thing tipped over and for a moment you were distracted, but then your attention bounced right back. Like maybe that's what it means, and so I looked at, okay, what was Martha actually going through? And this, this distraction that she was experiencing, it, it was pretty serious. This isn't a light momentary lapse in attention. The word means to actively draw away and to draw further and further. Like The longer this distraction is going on, the further and further away you are getting from where you are supposed to be. And this is what's going on with Martha. And this word can also mean cumbersome. It has the idea of a burden, of a weight that you are dragging behind you. But this word is part of a phrase used here. And this phrase in the culture, in the language, it meant to be dragging all, like you would use it to say they were dragging all around. So if I was distracted by something, it was a weight, it was a burden that I was dragging all around with me, that's clattering about, that's preventing me from being where I should be, and moving me in the opposite direction. So this isn't minor distraction. This is actively moving her further away from Jesus, where she should be, where we should be. And then we see the problem of this distraction. We see what happens when this distraction enters into our life, when this type of cumbersome, I mean, think of cumbersome. Think of a weight that you are physically dragging around with you as you're trying to go about your life. It's banging into things, it's crashing into things, and it's preventing you from making the progress and the steps that you should be taking. And we see the problem, that because of her distraction, because of being drawn away, actively drawn away from Jesus and dragged down, cumbered by this, This now changes how she approaches Jesus. Her distraction, her burden of cumbersome, or her cumbersome burden, it now directly affects her understanding of Jesus, her understanding of what Jesus wants. It directly affects how she approaches Jesus. It affects how she views Mary. And so this is not a small thing. Distractions that actively draw us away from Christ are not trivial issues. And when I say these things, when I say it directly affects how she approaches Jesus, how she understands what he desires, how she views her sister, and the way she interacts with Jesus, here's what I mean by that. Because then what after it says? It says, Martha was distracted with much serving. Second half of verse 40. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And again, not wanting to ever admit that I am Martha who's distracted from Jesus, my first thought is, do you not care that my sister... Okay, she's asking a question. There's this genuine, hey, you know, Jesus doesn't seem to have the same opinion as me, so I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Jesus, would you explain to me why you, you know, you don't have the same... That's not what she's doing. That, that phrase when she says, do you not care? The not care is one word. And that word that she uses, it's not a polite word. It's not a, I sincerely want to know Jesus, what do you care about? It's an accusatory word. It, it is, it's really an insulting word because what it's doing is it's implying or assigning indifference and neglect to the person. Right? So if I said, you know, if I said, John's leaving, so I'll just keep picking on John, right? Like if I said, John, do you not care about this? I'm not asking him a question. What I'm saying is, John, what's up with you? What's wrong with you that you don't care about this, like the way I think you should care about this? This is the same word. Do you remember a few Sundays ago we looked at Jesus and the Good Shepherd? In John 10, when he talks about, I am the good shepherd, and the whole theme of that is he's contrasting himself as the good shepherd with the leaders of Israel who were false shepherds and who were bad shepherds. And in John 10, 13, Jesus is talking about these false shepherds, and he's talking about when trouble comes, when things get difficult, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares not for the sheep. It's that same word. It's that same word Jesus used to describe an arrogant heart that really isn't invested in the lives of those he's entrusted with. Jesus uses this word to rebuke the Pharisees and the religious leaders for, look, I am the good shepherd. I care about my sheep. Your leaders don't. They are indifferent to you. They have neglected you. They do not have an investment in you. This is not an acceptable way to live. This is the word Jesus used that Martha uses here to say, Lord, do you not care? This is the same word that the apostles used in Mark 4.38 when they're on the lake and there was a storm. But Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Once again, it's this incredulity of, Jesus, how are you asleep? How, are you not aware of this? Like, Jesus, are, are you just not paying attention? I mean, because if you were paying attention, Jesus, clearly you would be bothered by this storm that is threatening us. So the fact that you are not bothered by this means you do not care. It's the same word that the disciples use. It's what Martha uses here. She comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, you don't care. I mean, this is not a genuine, sincere question. This is an accusation against Jesus. Lord, do you not care about this thing that I do? And the question I have to ask myself is, do I make the same mistake with Jesus? When something is not going well in my life, and not even not well, when something is not going as I think it should in my life, situations are not playing out the way I would like them to, the result is not what I would like it to be, do I assume neglect on the behalf of God? Do I assume, oh, well, because things aren't working out in my favor as I want them to, God must be indifferent. God must be neglecting me. God must not care about me because surely if He truly cared about me, then this situation would be working out more the way I want it to. I have to ask myself, do I reflect this heart of Martha when situations aren't going the way I want them to, assuming that God is indifferent to me? We cannot allow ourselves to slip down that slope of, okay, because things aren't where I think they should be. Clearly then the answer is God does not care and God is neglecting me and God has abandoned me. Lord, do you not care that my coworker who slacks off got the raise and I didn't? Lord, do you not care that the medical diagnosis didn't come back the way I want it to? Lord, do you not care about this? Do you not care? I mean, the things that burden us, God, do you you just not care? That's what Martha is saying to Jesus. We have to ask ourselves if we make that same deadly mistake of approaching Jesus, assuming indifference on his part just because it doesn't look how we want it to look. And then when it says, tell her then, right? She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister is not helping me serve? Tell her then, right? Like, hey, look, maybe you weren't aware of this, Jesus, so I'm bringing it to your attention, so now... Tell her to help me serve. You know, and I was like, well, maybe that word tell, I mean, surely, Sam, surely I don't make the mistake of going to Jesus and dictating what he is to do, right? Surely I don't make the mistake of approaching our Lord and Savior and saying, hey, this, this is what I'm going to need you to do for me. Maybe, maybe that word tell is more of a suggestion. No, that word tell that she used, it's from the word, it, it literally translates to late asleep. But when talking about verbal interaction, it's used to mean put an argument to rest. Give us the final word. Send down an ultimatum. And so what Martha has said to Jesus is, Jesus, stop being indifferent to this situation that's bothering me. Here's the final word that I need you to deliver. That's what that word tell that Martha uses is. Look, put this to rest, Jesus. This isn't up for debate. I need you to give the final word to my sister to do what I want her to do. Oh, man, Sam, do you really do that with Jesus? Do, do I dare to go to Jesus with the same heart as Martha and say, hey, God, here's what I need you to tell someone. Here's what I need you to do. Put the argument to rest. I've thought about it. I've come up with the conclusion. So I'm going to need you to say that. This is what Martha does to Jesus here in this situation. We cannot allow ourselves to do the same thing in our own lives. This is why I said I really went into this wanting to give Martha the benefit of the doubt. And the more I dived into these short verses, the more it was convicting that we need to guard against this heart in our own life. Because here's what happens. Here's what this then does to Martha, right? She wants to make it about Mary, but Jesus redirects to talk about Martha. And how does he respond to her? Martha comes in and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And so I thought, in and, and this continued shallow desire, in the flesh desire of, okay, still protect yourself as much as possible. As you're reading these verses, as you're reading these verses about this example of what not to do, anxious and troubled. Jesus says, Martha, you are anxious and troubled. Well, maybe it's just minor anxiety. right? Like maybe, And we're not talking about, let me also be clear, I'm not talking about panic attacks. I'm not talking about medical anxiety. This is, this is an active response to the situations, okay? I, I firmly believe, I've said this before, I firmly believe in mental health and taking care. Like, my dad is a counselor. He's got, his, he's got a master's in psychology. I, I believe in dealing with panic attacks. I believe in dealing with very real legitimate medical anxiety. This is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about your physical response, what you have allowed yourself to respond to this situation. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. So then my thought goes to, well, maybe it's just kind of minor, like, okay, I've got this on the fire and I'm also trying to refill. it. Like, if Mary could just help me for like two or three minutes, my anxiety would be gone. Right? Like, I'm, I'm more just annoyed. Maybe it's not really you're anxious about many things. Maybe it's you're just kind of annoyed by some things. So then I looked at what did Jesus mean when he said, you are anxious. And it's this very deliberate word, Marinemao. and it means to go to pieces, to be pulled apart, like the force exerted by sinful worry. Jesus is saying, "Mary, you or Martha, you are being torn to pieces. You are being dragged and ripped apart because of the forces exerted on you because you have allowed yourself to cross the line into sinful worry." It's the same word that Jesus used when he so strongly spoke against it in Matthew six. Matthew six, verses twenty-five to thirty-four, nine verses, and Jesus uses this word, Merimao, five times. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Remember when I told you a couple weeks ago one of the best decisions I ever made was I was going to take God seriously. I was going to take him at his word. That's a verse that I've decided to take seriously in my life. I can either allow myself to be torn apart to go to pieces because sinful worry is pulling me away from God, or I can take God seriously when he says, what is that going to do? Is that going to add an extra hour to your life? Are you going to get to the last month of your life and the doctor's going to say, well, how much time did you spend being torn apart by worry? Oh, okay, well then, you know, I'll change your diagnosis and we'll give you a couple more days. No, Jesus said, who among you can add a single hour to his life by being anxious? And why are you anxious? There's that word again, about clothing. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And now Jesus gives the root cause of merinamao gives the root cause of what Martha is experiencing here, this anxiety, which Martha already revealed with her question, Lord, do you not care? Jesus says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Jesus directly connects this type of anxiety, this type of sinful worry, to lack of faith. It's, God, you're not aware of the situation, so I myself need to worry about my clothes and my food and my day-to-day provision. Martha says, Lord, you're not aware of the fact that Mary's not helping me, so I need to bring this to your attention and be worried about it because you are in neglect and you are indifferent. Jesus directly connects this Marinamao, this anxiety, this anxiousness that Martha is demonstrating to you of little faith. It's the same word he uses in these two conversations. And so I have to ask myself, are there times where I become so distracted by what I consider to be obstacles that I forget to look at my God who can overcome anything? Well, God, you look—you don't understand what I'm going through, and clearly you can't provide for me to get through this, so that's why I need to take this anxiety upon myself. Oh, you of little faith, do the flowers of the field worry about how they're going to be clothed? then why do you waste time wondering if God can come through for you? It's the anxiety that Martha is demonstrating here. That Jesus earlier tied back to a heart of little faith. I told this wasn't a fun deep dive into these verses. But I have to ask myself, do I allow this same type of sinful worry to pull me apart as I am drawn away from Jesus? And then what else does he say? He doesn't just leave it there. He says, you are anxious. You are being pulled to pieces by sinful worry. And what's the result of this? He says, you are anxious and troubled. And this is a funny word, because this is a word word that I think we've kind of lost the weight of in our, our modern lexicon. We had friends over to dinner a couple weeks ago. You know, I was like, hey, can I get you anything? And the response was, you know, if it's not too much trouble, could I get a glass of water? Right, like I was way going, like I was like, oh my goodness, now my day's ruined. Like, oh, he's troubling me for a glass of wine. I was like, but my response was, no, of course it's not any trouble, right? But I say that same thing, like, hey, could I trouble you for, if it's not too much trouble, you know what I mean? Like, if it's not too much trouble, could, could you give me some of that water that is three inches away from your hand and you were offering anyway? Or we say things, right, like, you know, and I put up this picture, uh, it's meant to be like a Norman Rockwell, that's right, because it, you're sitting around the dinner table and, you know, leave it to beavers on in the background, and you're a little quiet. So the grandfather figure says, you know, like, my son, you seem a little troubled. Is anything on your mind? And it's this idea, so we've turned trouble into this very small thing, right? Like, oh, no, it's no trouble at all. I'm a little troubled, so I'm a little quiet, and you can't really tell what's going on with me. So we understand trouble to be that way in our modern vernacular. So when Jesus says, you know, Martha, you're troubled, we're like, oh, so maybe Martha was just a little bit, maybe, maybe something was a little bit off, Right? So maybe it's okay when I'm just a little bit off, because surely I'm not overreacting. Well, what word did Jesus actually use? Jesus used a word, uh, and I'm I'm looking down to make sure I pronounce this right. He used a word that is thorubeo. And and this is not, hey, if, if it's not an inconvenience, Martha's not inconvenienced right now. The word Jesus used to describe Martha's behavior, the outward manifestation of her inward heart attitude, Jesus uses the word thorubeo, which means to be greatly disturbed, to make a, I mean, listen to this definition and then think of our own lives, to make a noisy upheaval, to make an uproar, to wail tumultuously. This isn't, Martha's not a little quiet. Martha didn't, like, you know, knock on the door to the room and say, Hey, Jesus, real quick, just just a small, quick question for you. No, Martha stormed into the room and threw a temper tantrum. Martha demanded that all eyes go on her with her dramatic, woe is me, tumultuous, Sam, that seems harsh. That might be the definition of the. Let's look at how else Scripture uses this word. Matthew 9:23, and when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. This is a word used to describe the results of a crowd of hyper-emotional people. Mark 5:39, when Jesus had entered, he said to them, "Why are you making a commotion and weeping?" Making a commotion and weeping. When someone died in this culture, you would hire professional mourners whose job it was was to wail as loud and as long as possible so everyone knew the grief you were going through. This is the word Jesus used to describe Martha. Acts 17.5, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar. That's one word. Set the city. I mean, a group of angry people formed a mob and incited their fellow citizens to riot, and it's the same word that Jesus uses to describe Martha's actions here. And they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. In Acts twenty ten, Paul is preaching, and they're in the third story of a house, and he's preaching for so long that the guy falls asleep, and he falls out the window, and he dies on the sidewalk. And so everybody in the house rushes down because this is a tragic event. And Paul says, but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed. And that word he used for alarmed is thorubeo. This is the word that Jesus uses to describe Martha's actions. So Martha, being torn apart by sinful worry, being actively drawn away from Jesus, has now approached Jesus making demands on his behavior, assuming herself to be in the right. And Jesus says, Martha, why are you behaving like a mourning, riotous mob? I mean, you are anxious and troubled over these things. This has completely ruined Martha's day. She is consumed by this. These are not light, easy words that Jesus uses to describe her reaction. And so I have to ask myself, as we consider the conviction of Martha, do I allow myself to respond in the same way when things don't go well? Well, when something bad happens to me, I mean, I'm going to hire professional mourners to make as loud and long of a noise as possible so you all know what I'm going through. I'm going to incite the city to riot when something goes against the way I would rather it to because I have been so victimized by this. These are not light words that Jesus uses to describe Martha's anxiety and troubled behavior. And we have to ask ourselves, is this how we respond when things get hard? Do we allow this same immaturity, this same lack of confidence, this same heart of little faith to manifest itself in our actions. I told you, I I didn't enjoy this deep dive into Martha's life. And and then Jesus goes on. So he, he talks about Martha's reaction. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken from her. And so after Jesus talks about Martha's behavior, he then holds up Mary. And I think it's interesting that Mary didn't defend herself, which I have to admit, that would be very hard for me. right? If you and I were having a conversation, and I'm not speaking, I'm just listening. If I'm listening to you talk, right? but I'm engaged with you... John and I are at lunch. We were at lunch, what was that, Thursday? John and I are at lunch on Thursday, right? I'm listening to John talk, and you come bursting. I mean, you smash open the restaurant door. All eyes go to you. You come over. You flip a table because you're in Thorubeo. You're wailing, and you say, Sam, why don't you care about me? Because you're spending time with John. It would be very hard for me to not immediately leave to my feet and try and defend myself. I think it's interesting that Mary doesn't. And we don't know what conversations happen later. I just, uh, I think that was a detail that I was like, oh, that's, you know, Jesus addresses Mary's behavior. And when Jesus talks about Mary's behavior, he says, Mary has chosen the good portion. And that's the last part I want to look at. As I was reading commentaries, I was listening to Pi, I was listening to people talk about this and break it down. Okay, what else? You know, I've never done a deep study like this before on, on these verses. Who else who spent time studying this? What are they? And, and there, there was an idea that I came across a couple times, right, where they were like, "Well, the theme of this is distraction, and both sisters are distracted. Martha was distracted by this thing, and Mary, you know, Martha was distracted from listening to Jesus by serving. Mary was distracted from serving. So it's really, it's just kind of, you know, they're both distracted. They're really on the same plane. I was like, well, that's interesting." But then I looked at the word that Jesus used. When Jesus said, Mary has chosen, that word that Jesus uses for chosen means to personally select by deliberate choice. It was used to indicate your heart preference. This word was used to indicate where someone's heart longed for. And so it's to deliberately choose something knowing there's a definite outcome. This is the word that Jesus uses to describe Mary's behavior. And this word, this, four, this word appears ten times in the New Testament. This is one of them. So this word, aside from Luke 10, this word appears nine other times in the New Testament. And eight of those nine times, it's used to directly discuss and describe how God behaves. This word that Jesus uses for Mary's choice is the same word that Scripture uses to describe how God makes a decision. So Mary did not make this decision through negligence or distraction. Mary did not, oh shoot, I completely forgot that we needed to get a meal ready. I'm sorry, I was, I was distracted. No. Mary looked at her outcomes. This word, when Jesus uses this word, Mary looked at her options. I have this option, I have this option. I understand the outcomes of each of those options. I deliberately, intentionally choose this option. Mary was not distracted. I would say that Mary was in relentless pursuit of Jesus. Mary looked at what was in front of her and she said, I intentionally, deliberately choose to sit at the feet of Christ knowing what the outcome of that will be. Knowing that it, doing this means I am abandoning these other options. This is what Mary did. I love that this comes right after the week we talked about relentless pursuit because I want a life like that. I want a life where I'm willing to look at the options in front of me and say, this is the option that will put me in closest proximity to Jesus. This is the option that will put me in a place where I can hear Jesus' voice. This is the option that will put me in a place where I can learn from Jesus. I deliberately, intentionally choose this option, abandoning those because I know this is where my Savior is. Mary modeled relentless pursuit with this decision. This is the same choosing that the Bible talks about God doing in his life, or not in his life, but in his behavior. This is what Mary did with her decision. And I have to ask myself, do I make those same kinds of decisions? Because again, this word was used to reveal a heart attitude. This word was used to reveal where is Mary's heart. And Mary's heart was clearly, it's about Jesus. I will abandon all else in the pursuit of Jesus and of learning from Jesus. And I have to ask myself, am I willing to make that deliberate decision to follow Jesus and to learn from Jesus? And why do we have to be willing to make that decision? Because what did Mary choose? Jesus says Mary has chosen the good portion. And this is not good like, oh, I had a good day. I found five bucks in my pocket. This is not, oh, I had a good day. I caught all green lights on the way. All right? Like When Jesus says Mary has chosen the good portion, the last bit that I looked at was, okay, what word did he use for good? And it's a word that means intrinsically good. It's a word that means good in nature, good in essence. Everything about Mary's decision was good and not small good. But it's used, this word, this word, agathos, is used to describe what originates from God and is empowered by Him through faith. So earlier, Jesus used a word, Marinamao to describe Martha's action, that He had tied to a little faith, right? Jesus used that word. This is how you are behaving, this anxiety that you have allowed to consume your life, this behavior, this anxious behavior, oh, you of little faith. Why are you demonstrating this behavior? And now here he's talking about Mary's behavior, and he says, this behavior is good. This is behavior that originates from God. This is behavior that is only made possible through God, by God, in your faith in God. This is good behavior. If you remember earlier in the series, we looked at the parable of the soils and the sower. And when Jesus talked about seeds are sown and some land on the path and some land on sandy soil and some land on rocky soil and on thorny soil, and then Jesus talks about good soil. Jesus talks about soil that takes the seed and takes it to root. And the seed grows and the seed flourishes and the seed yields crop results that were unimaginable to the people at that time. Right, we looked at when Jesus said it would yield tenfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. The average return was like two to one or three to one. So even when Jesus said tenfold, that would have blown their minds. And then Jesus goes on to say, no, this soil lead, yields results of a hundredfold. That would have been uh, unimaginable for the people. And that word that Jesus used to describe that soil was the same word that Jesus just used to describe Mary's decision. No, this is, this is good Mary has deliberately revealed, or Mary's heart is in deliberate pursuit of the good portion. Mary's heart is set after seeking that which is of God. Mary has chosen the good portion. And it will not be taken from her. And so I have to ask myself as I consider all of this, I have to ask myself, okay, when I have a decision to make, I'm at a fork in the road, my coworker snaps off at me, my coworker slacks. I'm at work, right? I'm at, I'm at work and my coworker's lazy and my coworker slacks off, and our boss comes in and he yells at me because it looks like maybe I messed up. How am I going to respond? Am I going to snap right? It wasn't me. It was that it was that idiot's fault. Right? Like, don't blame me, blame Tim. Tim blew it. Or do we respond with grace and kindness and meekness? That coworker who does slack off gets a promotion, gets a raise that I don't get. So I'm going to respond in envy, well, clearly, God, you don't care about me because if you really cared about me, God, you would give me that promotion and raise or am I going to make the good decision? Am I going to choose the good portion? When things at home don't go well, am I going to choose the good portion or am I going to respond with, well, God, clearly you don't care? I'm going, to become, I'm going to become Thor Ubeo. I'm going to be stomping through my house as loud and as heavy as I can. And when I get to the kitchen, I'm going to slam those cupboard doors so that my wife knows how ticked off I am that she forgot to empty the dishwasher. Because nobody has suffered like I have. How are we going to respond? And yeah, that's a small, silly example. But that's the stuff that we allow to ruin our days. Right? That's the stuff that we allow to drive that. Oh, okay, she didn't, she didn't unload the dishwasher once, and then that becomes, well, she never unloads the dishwasher. Yeah, she never unloads the dishwasher because she never helps around the house. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm like the greatest husband ever. She's never once lifted her hand to help me. What kind of one-sided relationship is this? And that's what the enemy wants me to do. And so do I respond with this worrying burden of, okay, I'm going to drag around this weight that draws me further away from Jesus, or am I going to look at the situations that may be used by the enemy? Keep in mind, I've said this I don't know how many times, the weapons that we fight with are spiritual. Why? Because the war that we fight in is spiritual. All this stuff, this stuff that could derail our day, you have company over, and your husband doesn't help you get ready for company. Well, the masters are on. Hon, like, it's your fault that you invited people over while the masters are on. So that's what, right? Like, okay, so that's a small thing. Do we respond like Martha and allow it to become a big thing? I mean, when we have these opportunities to engage with people around us, do we respond like Martha with a heart that accuses Jesus of indifference or neglect because things aren't playing out the way we want them to? Or do we respond by pursuing a more excellent way and responding like Jesus? When we have an opportunity to spend free time, and I'm not saying hear me on this like, right, I have no problem with movies, I have no problem with you reading books that aren't the Bible, like I have no problem with with you taking part in these things. But look at the pattern of your life. Look at the pattern of your life. If you wrote down every decision you made in a day, right, the decision of how I'm going to spend my lunch break, the decision of am I going to wake up 30 minutes early to get time with the Bible or am I going to hit the snooze button two more times? Am I going to pray for my coworkers, or am I going to just, you know, kind of mutter about that? I mean, when you look at every decision you make in a day, could it truthfully be said of you that your heart led you to deliberately choose the good portion that can only originate from God and be made possible through faith in Him? That was how Mary responded. And I have to ask myself, do I look like Martha more than I should? And so this week, as you consider this idea of choosing, right, we're at the start of Passion Week. We're at the start of Holy Week as we lead up to Easter. And as I've been reading about Easter and, you know, following along two different commentaries, I thought this was was kind of fantastic. Two different commentaries talked about that this is the start of Jesus's one, used, one said this is the start of Jesus' relentless march toward the cross. And another commentary said this is the start of Jesus' relentless process towards the cross. But either way, they said relentless. I, I thought that was kind of cool that we talked about relentless pursuit last week. And these commentaries about Easter described Jesus' behavior this week as a relentless process, a relentless march towards the cross. And then we come to this, and we come to Martha and Mary. And you have one sister who allowed a small thing to become a big thing that actively drew her away from Jesus to the point of outbursts and accusations against the Lord. And then you have a sister who weighed her options and deliberately chose the portion of Jesus. And so I want you to read Luke Luke 10, 38-42. In Joshua 24, 14 to 15, where Joshua says to the people of Israel, look, you have options. You can worship the gods of the past. You can worship the idols of the past. You can worship the idols of the culture around you. Or you can worship the Lord. And then Joshua says, you have a decision to make. You have a choice to make. As for me and my house, we will choose. And that word that Joshua used for choose was again, it was a deliberate, ongoing reflection of my heart. We will choose to serve the Lord. So I don't really have a do this week, because I don't know where you are. I can't tell you do this differently. But what I'm challenging you to do is read these passages and just ask yourself, Lord, am I choosing the good portion? And the way I work, and the way I interact with people, and the way I serve, the way I spend my free time, and the way I live my life, Does my life reflect a deliberate examination of the options and an intentional choosing of you? This is what we're called to. This is what we see in Martha and Mary. Please join me in prayer. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for when my heart does reflect distraction for when I allow myself to be actively drawn away from you. Forgive me for when in that distraction I respond with immaturity and I, in essence, double down on being drawn from you. God, teach us to respond like Mary. If there are places in our life, whether it's relationships, whether it's finance, whether it's, provision. I mean, the examples that you gave in Matthew 6, as you talked about, don't be anxious for these things. If there's anything like that that has taken root in our hearts and is eating away at us, reveal it to us. As painful as it may be, reveal it to us. Convict us with your spirit. And then Lord, teach us to surrender that to you. Teach us to be people who choose the good portion. Teach us to be people who are in relentless pursuit of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.